Hello, it's Caroline. I'm just here to tell you that this episode that you're about to listen to was recorded during a time when I still used Patreon. I do not use Patreon anymore, but you can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com slash more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuck a Diet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy. And it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right, enjoy. Every so often, I decide that my podcast needs new music and then I search for new music and I don't really know what I'm looking for but this time I found something I found a track called extremely sneaky cat and I listened to it and I was like wow this is it I found it So welcome to the Fuck a Diet podcast. My name is Caroline Dooner. You're listening to Extremely Sneaky Cat that just ended right there where you were listening to it. Anyway, this is my warning where I I just let you know that that this podcast is um, exceedingly and nearly pathologically casual. It's just the way it is. And, you know, some people love it and some people really hate it. So this is just your warning, basically. And today, as usual, I have some prepared content for you that's specifically anti-diet. It's a question that people ask often enough and it's a little bit of advice. And then I also have some stories to tell. One is a very stressful story about how my dear little sweet little dog was attacked on Thursday, um, on Thanksgiving. And she's actually fine. I am genuinely traumatized. And I also think it's fascinating. The story is horrible, but the fallout of the trauma that I essentially am trying to like deal with is, is um, interesting to note, especially if you've read my book where I do talk about trauma and us sort of dissociating and needing to process trauma. So that's what's happening today. Uh, and I'm also in the next couple weeks, genuinely, genuinely, genuinely in the next couple weeks, I am chatting with, uh, Maddie Deacon of Messy Health. I am chatting with Christy Harrison, whose book Anti-Diet is coming out at the end of this month. I am chatting with your fat friend, uh, who's an anonymous essayist who I highly recommend you read or follow on Instagram or Twitter and um, a couple more people and those episodes will be coming to you soon. So there is more coming, more than just me. I'm wanting to bring you other perspectives and conversations with people who will hopefully be um, interesting and informative for anyone who is starting off on this anti-diet health at every size journey. Um, and I, you know, I know that I explain things 
in a way that is helpful for people, but that doesn't mean that um, my voice and my voice alone can um, be the only, you know, voice in your recovery and in your journey. So I think it really is important to follow lots of people and to get lots of people's experiences and perspectives. And you can do that on your own, but I hope that I can also bring that a little bit to you in the next couple episodes of the podcast. So without further ado, um, we're just going to go into this actual blog post that this episode is attached to. And it's called when you worry, you're being irresponsible. So this is a question that I got in the Fuck It Diet book club, which actually just wrapped up its second round last week. It's an eight-week uh, course club, and we go through the book, and we have Q&As, and there's bonus content, and there's bonus exercises that were cut from the book, and it's a community, and um, it will come back around in 2020. I have been considering, you know, it would make sense if I opened up enrollment right now um, so we could start another round January 1st uh, to try to combat the diet culture that is and all the you know all the cleanses that are going on in the beginning of the year but I don't know that I have that in me to be perfectly honest with you so I think it's going to be a couple months into 2020 um, and I will absolutely let you know if you want to know right when it opens up go to thefuckitdiet.com slash club and you can sign up to be notified. You can um, sign up for the book resources. If you've read the book at thefuckitdiet.com slash resources, you'll get bonuses there. You'll get some um, actual people that I highly recommend following. You'll get a replay of a, of a Q&A video that I did for people who've read the book. You'll get uh, prompts from the book laid out, um, if maybe if you got the audiobook, and uh, and you'll also be notified there too. And if you are new to the fuck a diet, which you easily could be, uh, go to thefuckadiet.com/free, and I have the beginning of the book for you to read, and I have some free lessons for newbies, sort of like intro lessons, like what the hell is this anyway. Because honestly, this episode today and this question that I'm asking today is is um, is not necessarily a newbie question. So if you are completely new to this and not quite sure what it is and not quite sure if it's right for you and not quite sure if it applies to you, I do highly recommend you go to thefuckadiet.com slash free and, and get the, the free content that's specifically for people who don't really know what this is in the first place. And obviously, to anybody who hasn't, I really do recommend reading my book. I purposely, you know, obviously wrote it to explain it from start to finish in a very comprehensive way. So I know I've said that a million times if you've been listening to the, to this podcast for a while, but that is like the thing that I, I recommend the most to people who have questions or who want to know more or want to know the kinds of things that I would teach and recommend in the courses that I used to run. And the course has now become the book. And that's because it is, you know, the thing that I teach and all the things that I would teach. Okay, 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 okay. So let's just get into it here. What the whole reason, the whole reason I went into that is because um, this was actually one of the very, very, very last questions that were at, it was asked in like the last five minutes of the last Q and A call that I did, um, and this woman asked, "How do I get to a place 
where I am confident enough to tune out diet culture when it's everywhere. And she gave the example of how do I get to a place where I can tune out uh, Oprah's Weight Watchers tour, essentially, that she's doing and having all of these celebrities. It's a very confusing thing. I don't even really understand what it is or why it is. Um, But she's doing this wellness tour and wellness belongs in quotes there um, with Tina Fey and Lady Gaga and um, Michelle Obama. And, you know, I, I think that Weight Watchers is trying to do a big pivot um, I think unsuccessfully and very sneakily, and this is kind of like the the sneaky nature of what diet culture even is, all of a sudden every diet is saying, but we're not a diet. And it's just like, well, pff, I mean, that's, wouldn't you like to believe you weren't a diet? But anyway, okay, so the answer to the question How do I get to a place where I am confident enough to tune out diet culture when it's everywhere? Is that the truth of the matter is that weight loss and diet talk are everywhere. It's actually in many ways what the definition of diet culture is. A culture where dieting and weight loss attempts are the norm and are everywhere. But when life gets hard or when intuitive eating or the fuck a diet gets hard and we don't feel so great or we don't feel so confident, we often wonder if we've made a mistake, if maybe the diet that your coworker is on right now is maybe the one that you should have tried before you gave up dieting. And you wonder, maybe, maybe I really didn't give it my all. Maybe I really didn't try hard enough. Maybe I really didn't try the right diet. Maybe I really was happier then. And so in a way, I don't think it's as much about tuning out diet culture. Um, though I think that that will naturally happen the less fear we have that we've made a mistake, essentially. Um, I don't think it's as much about tuning out diet culture as it is about being super honest with ourselves when we start to get pulled in by the diet siren song and asking ourselves, what are we looking for? Why is this appealing to me right now? What do I think it's going to give me and asking ourselves what are we craving or missing right now in what we're doing that we think intermittent fasting is going to give us what beliefs might be rearing their ugly head it's an opportunity anytime that we think we should go back on a diet or anytime we actually do go back on a diet and get stuck in the cycle again It's an opportunity to look at how our minds work, to gain some more awareness around how our minds work, and maybe do some more healing and figure out more places where we still have beliefs or fears that we haven't necessarily acknowledged or healed yet. So when this happens, I think one of the big core fears or beliefs, if you will, is the fear that when we stop dieting, we are not taking care of ourselves anymore. And that's no small thing to be afraid that maybe we're not being responsible anymore. Maybe when we stop dieting, we stop taking care of ourselves. And we worry that dieting is responsible and that not dieting is irresponsible. And, you know, we're trying to change that subconscious learned cultural belief. But when we're having a rough day or a rough week or 
we're having new or old recurring health woes pop up, wanting to just know that we're taking care of ourselves and that we're taking care of things um, is sometimes what we're craving. Feeling responsible is often what we're craving. And because nobody will stop talking about how responsible dieting is, that can be hard to do. And that can be the thing that freaks us out and kind of pulls us back into to diet culture and to diets. So we often panic in these situations. We think, oh no, oh no, maybe I really should be intermittent fasting. Maybe I really would be happier and healthier if I were on keto. Maybe I should be intermittent fasting and doing keto and just try it one last time and like see if it works and see if it totally heals me and see if I'm happier and, you know, begin to levitate or whatever. But dieting really is not the answer and it's not a cure-all and it is wired to backfire and it's not even so good for us long term and lots of us have experienced that firsthand. Um, Again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I really do recommend that you read my book because it explains it very, very clearly and very comprehensively. So when you're having trouble remembering that dieting is not the answer and it's not a cure-all and that it is wired to backfire and it's not so good for us long term, when you have trouble remembering that, remind yourself why did I stop dieting in the first place? What happened to me that I realized I was hurting myself or that this wasn't good for me or that this wasn't worth it or this did keep backfiring or that I'm more miserable now than I even was before I started dieting? Answer the question, why did I stop dieting in the first place? And if that doesn't remind you or if you actually haven't even stopped dieting yet, start reading, start informing yourself, read my book, read Body Respect, read any other number of anti-diet books. Um, read and then read or listen to whatever helped you wake up and snap out of it in the first place if you're just looking to get back to the way that you felt when you realized that you needed or wanted to stop dieting. And then, and this is the big one, ask yourself, how can I make sure that I am taking care of myself today? How can I make sure I'm taking care of myself today? If what you are craving is the feeling that you are taking care of yourselves, and I think that this is a very, very common reason why we panic and think we need to go back on a diet. Besides weight, which is a huge stressor for a lot of people, but the health piece and the I'm not taking care of myself piece is another big part of it. And so... How can I make sure I am taking care of myself today? How can I prove to myself and how can I prove to my body that I really am here taking care of my body? Health is not a black and white thing. And sometimes all we want to know is that we are, in fact, taking care of ourselves. And in the moment, we sometimes assume that that's a diet, that a diet is the best way to take care of ourselves or that it's the best or only way to do that. And it's not. So take a moment and ask, what can I do to take care of myself today? Maybe the answer is to take a walk. Maybe the answer is to lie down. Maybe the answer is to cry, cry it out. Maybe the answer is to call a friend or maybe the answer is to cancel plans or make plans or stretch on the floor for three minutes, for five minutes. Maybe the answer is to eat two pieces of cake, really, seriously. 
Maybe the answer is to go grocery shopping for vegetables and saute them up. Maybe the answer is to make a doctor's appointment. It doesn't matter what the answer is, and it is allowed to be different from day to day, moment to moment, hour to hour. But when you feel this way, ask yourself what little thing you can do to take care of yourself today or this week. Say you don't have any time today, but you can make a plan for the next day or for something to do this week. And then do it. And even if it's just as simple as take two deep breaths, because that is really good for you. I hope that that's a helpful little hack into your mind and into your body and into your mind-body connection. And, you know, the holidays are here. We just went through Thanksgiving in the U.S. And there are more holidays coming up. And with the holidays will come lots of diet books. Oh my God, I was going to say lots of diet books. Well, that's true too, actually. Lots of diet talk. With the holidays comes lots of diet talk. So if you haven't read my book yet, you can read. This is what I wrote in the post. You can read the beginning and get some other helpful intro lessons from here. And I linked. So you can find that in the show notes. Thefuckadiet.com slash free. And if you've read the book, you can get lots of resources to support your next steps here, thefuckadiet.com slash resources. Both of those links are in the show notes attached to the episode. Um, So I hope those things are helpful and I hope you check them out and are supported by them. Um, I wonder if I should play my sneaky cat music again. It's just like a little little casual interlude you know maybe I'll insert that in in post but now I would like to explain uh what happened with my sweet sweet Molly um so and I didn't even post about this on Instagram I was just sort of like trying to survive and trying to I was spending a lot of time with my family I was trying to process it I was just really, really overwhelmed. Um, But my parents live about 30 to 40 minutes outside of Philadelphia, and it's where I grew up. And they were hosting Thanksgiving, which is great. And my sister was home from California, and my brother was around. And so I picked my sister up from the airport on Tuesday. I drove her out to my parents and I would drive back into the city every night to sleep here. And I would bring Molly with me out there and I would bring Molly back in here. I definitely prefer sleeping at my house in the city. Uh, I really, I do really well with routine with sleep and Molly does really well with routine and sleep and she sleeps downstairs and I sleep upstairs. Um, and the couple times that I have tried to do it at my parents' house, it's a disaster. And she's stressed and she tries to find me in the middle of the night. And it's a whole thing. So Tuesday night, I spent at my parents, I, you know, I spent at my parents and then I drove back into the city. And then I drove back Wednesday. I spent all day with my family on Wednesday. And same with Thursday and same with Friday yesterday. And I would drive back every night. I don't really know if that's an important part of the story or not, but I'm just trying to paint the picture. So my cousins who actually live one street over from my parents, um, they had this beautiful, wonderful, humongous Bernese mountain dog named Carson. 
and he was the sweetest, sweetest, sweetest dog. And he passed away over the summer. He was only six years old. He had cancer. It's heartbreaking. He was not old, but Bernese Mountain Dogs have a lot of genetic uh, predisposition to cancer, I think. And he and like their lifespan is like six to eight years generally, and it's like one of the shortest of of all the dogs. So anyway, it's very very sad. And Molly absolutely loved him. Molly is half Bernese Mountain Dog, half Mini Poodle. She's like 50 pounds. He was like 120 pounds. He was the sweetest dog. And I guess they had an overlap of like a a year. And they met a couple times and they would play and they would run around and he would cry. That was his like playing style, Carson. He would see Molly and he would just start crying and they would run around and chase each other. And even, I think he had cancer when they would play. Like I think he had it for a little bit longer um than they knew about and he would like limp around trying to chase her and it was just so so cute and she loved him so Carson passed away and just a couple weeks ago they adopted a rescue dog and he's really big and he's only eight months old and his name is Goose and um he is like part Great Dane part Lab part Doberman um and they don't really know I don't know if they really know what his past was and he's young I mean he's only eight months but I think he had a pretty traumatic past um not distant past and I I don't I think he was abused or I I don't really know exactly and they don't really know either and they're trying to figure it out so I was texting them and asking whether he could meet Molly and they were saying you know we're not really sure how he is with other dogs. Um, but, you know, maybe they could meet through the fence and just see how it goes. So on Thanksgiving, I brought her over to their house. And they live just a couple houses away on the street over. And also, they, they're they my dad's side of the family. And this was the year that I was having Thanksgiving with my mom's side of the family. So we weren't actually going to be having Thanksgiving dinner with them. Um, but I thought it would be nice to just see them for a couple minutes and see if the dogs could play. And in my head, I'm like, this is a puppy. Like, how bad could it be? Do you know what I mean? <sighs> anyway, one of the big things that's come out of this is I am now and I will be so much more cautious. Um, maybe too cautious now because I'm so, so traumatized after what happened. But... Basically, uh, my brother came with me. They were meeting through the fence. It was like a wooden white fence. And he's so big and he was jumping up and he was saying hi. And his little, um, you know, his hair was standing up in the back of his head. And he was barking. But he, he did seem like he wanted to meet us. And it seemed like he wanted to meet Molly. Um, and he was sort of doing like the little puppy puppy butt where like the the you know, his butt goes up in the air and that's like their sign that they want to play. But he was also barking and it did sound like an aggressive bark, but at the same time, he's humongous. I mean, he's really, really, really big. And so inherently they're going to have like a deep bark. So I was like, I think he wants, like I was looking at the good. I was like, it looks like he wants to play. 
look. And then he went like, like did that thing that I was like, oh, look, he does want to play. And they were definitely on the cautious side. They were like, "Mm, I don't know. It does sound like a little aggressive. But then he was doing enough things that seemed like he just was a big, big, big puppy who wanted to play and wanted to meet Molly. Oh, God. So I also stupidly said, oh, Molly's so submissive. She'll just roll over. She's just, you know, she's easy breezy. She'll be the submissive one, which is half true. And it's also not really true anymore. Yeah, she would have done that as a puppy. But now, you know, she's a little bit, she gets overwhelmed easily. And at the dog park, she does her little, like, baring her teeth and, like, does a little, like, And that's her way of telling dogs to just back off because she gets overwhelmed. And dogs who are used to being around other dogs understand what that means. And then they back off. And then she calms down and then she's happy to play. Um, So he came out and it was, they let him out of the gate. So now he's not in the backyard anymore. He's in the front yard with her. And there's no way to like escape essentially um because there's no more gate he's not held in by a gate so if we had run you know onto the street he would have been able to follow us but I wasn't thinking that there was a problem yet so my brother had her on a leash but Goose the dog the other dog was not on a leash but he did have a collar on and he looked like it was a little bit unclear like it looked like he was half trying to play and half like a little bit aggressive and a little bit scared himself but he was absolutely humongous and I think it was just like teetering on the edge of like we could nobody could really tell whether he was getting riled up and getting really aggressive or whether he was just trying to play and again he's an absolutely humongous puppy so is his play style just like overbearing? We just we just didn't know. But I could tell that Molly was getting really overwhelmed and really scared. And I said, oh, okay, I can tell she's overwhelmed. And so they started to try and call him back. And of course, again, they've only had him for three or four weeks. And so he's not, and he's a puppy. So he, why would we expect that he would have good recall? Like it just, there were so many things that I just were mistakes. And I definitely was like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, so Molly does her little teeth bearing thing. That means get away, back away, buddy. And that I think is where it tipped into basically he started to then go on the attack. And this is where I started to black out. I don't remember everything that happened I literally have holes in my memory of exactly what happened exactly what the um the sequence of events was all I remember was that my brother instinctively and I this is something that I can't get burned I cannot get it out of my it's like burned into my memory I can't get it out of my mind my brother was pulling up on Molly's leash and collar to try and get him away get her away from goose which doesn't make any sense because there's nowhere that she can go and so she was just like on her hind legs like being choked and like doing flips around and like feeling like she's kind of like being not actively attacked yet but like very aggressively gone after by goose who's way bigger than her 
So at some point, and I don't remember what this was, she slipped her collar. And I think it's because my brother was like pulling up. And he, again, he's holding her. The huge dog is going after her. So my brother's now in the middle of it. And my brother doesn't know what he's doing. Though, thank God for him because he kind of saved the day. Um, I can't believe that I'm trying to explain this play by life. But uh, you can just skip forward if you want to because the end the end of the story is that she's absolutely unscathed by a miracle because he tried to he genuinely tried to attack her but she was saved by her fluff because she's so fluffy that he only was able to rip out her hair but okay this is how we got to it and my brother genuinely in the middle of it all thought that he was going to try and kill Molly it escalated so quickly and so in such a scary way okay. So Molly slipped her collar somehow. Next thing I knew, they were trying to call him back. He wouldn't go go back. Molly slipped her collar. My brother picked up Molly to try and get her away from the other dog. And that is when Goose jumped up and bit her. So my brother is holding her. My brother's back is to me. He's four, four feet away from me. So I couldn't actually see what he was, what the dog was biting because the actual hit, the dog's actual face was blocked by my brother's body. But all I know is that my brother was holding my dog, my 50 pound dog, and the other dog had jumped up to bite her and my dog, Molly, was yelping. And I just started screaming. I couldn't move. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know... I was so afraid that if I pulled Goose off of her, that he would rip off her leg. In my mind, he had her leg. And that her leg was being, like, punctured. And I was just afraid that if I pulled on the dog, that he would, like, tear off her leg. I didn't know. My aunt started screaming. I started screaming. And... Meanwhile, and Molly was yelping, so I was like, oh my God, she's just being, like, she's being attacked. Like, I, but I couldn't move. And meanwhile, she's in my brother's arms. And then after it was all over, I couldn't remember what happened next. I genuinely, the only thing that was burned into my brain was my brother pulling up on her collar and her choking. And then her being in my brother's arms, being bitten me screaming and my aunt screaming screaming I was screaming bloody murder I don't even know what my scream sounded like because I don't remember remember everything and then the next thing I remember and I know it was like maybe a minute or a couple minutes later was I was running away with Molly once my uncle finally ran from the backyard to see what was happening and grabbed the dog however before then I have now filled it in by asking Shane and I asked my brother whose name is Shane I was like what happened after you were holding Molly and he was like I don't know I don't remember he he was in the middle of it too but at least he was taking action I I couldn't move I couldn't move and then I felt guilty that I wasn't like doing anything I wasn't pulling her the dog off of her but I didn't know if that was going to make things worse I didn't know um and so this is what happened so now I know that he only had her fur and he was, he thought he had her skin or he was trying to have her skin because he wasn't letting go when she was yelping, 
which is what a dog who is listening and not trying to hurt another dog. When the dog yelps and they're playing, he, you know, they let go. But he wasn't letting go. But he must have just lost the grip because all he had was her fur. And I think when the grip, when my brother sensed that that the dog did not have Molly anymore, he threw Molly down and then went after Goose. And uh, because he said while he was holding her, what he was doing, he was waiting for someone to wrangle this humongous, I mean humongous, I don't know how many pounds he is, but he is tall. I mean, he's part Great Dane, he's humongous. And I do, I also remember before the actual attack happened, when I just like started to black out, um, he was really, 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 really like snarling, barking, foaming at the mouth, baring his teeth. And that's when I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then like everything just sort of happened in a daze from there. Um, okay. Um, I promise this is almost over. And I, and I also promise that, (laughs) that I actually have a point that will, that will come back to something that that makes some sort of sense based on something that I talk about in my book about trauma and energy and unprocessed energy. Cause I've never quite experienced something as acute as this. Um, I know that I have trauma and a lot of like social, emotional diet performance trauma, but I have never had anything quite like this before. So it was kind of interesting to see what happened to me and then to see what the aftermath was. Um, knowing what I now know and believing what I now believe about how humans can get traumatized and, and what that looks like and what that feels like. So before we get there, basically my brother threw her down, tried to go after Goose, which again is so like, what would I have done without him? He was like, who knew if he was going to get attacked? And he didn't. And he, the dog didn't go after humans, was only going after Molly and clearly, you know, clearly has he probably had a very traumatic experience of his own and her bearing her little teeth just saying, get away from me, put put him over the edge. But when he, my brother went after Goose and had him by the collar and his collar popped off. So all I remember then sort of in, in a sort of brownout is that he ran back around to get Molly again and I don't even know where I like where I was in relation to Molly at this point I don't I don't even remember like I don't even remember which is I just knew that if we started running before he was held that he would come after us I just knew I just knew that and so I I knew that it wasn't worth running unless he was being restrained So the next thing I know after the collar popped off is my uncle was there and grabbed Goose by the the skin, like by the scruff and yelled to us, like, get out of here. And Molly didn't have her collar on at that point, which I didn't even know. But I, I grabbed Molly by the fur and she wanted to leave, but she was also sticking by me. And I saw the collar and the, uh, the leash on the lawn and I picked it up as we ran and we ran home. I thought Molly was extremely injured. Obviously, she was able to walk, but she was limping a little bit. My plan, since she could walk, I was like, okay, we're going to go back to my parents. It's a, a street away, a couple blocks, a couple houses away. 
I'm going to check her leg and then I'm going to go to the hospital. I just, in my head, I was like, I'm going to be spending the entire day and maybe the next couple of days in the animal hospital. And, and I just, I just knew it. I knew, knew it. Like I knew that that had to be the case. And that was my plan. I was like, I'm going to get you there. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Apparently when we were halfway home, he got out of my uncle's grip and started running after us again. And then I guess when he noticed that we were far enough away, uh, he turned around and, and didn't pursue us. But, uh, I got home and Molly was shaking and her little tail was between her legs. And I was started quickly looking. I just thought he he'd bit her leg and I was looking all over her leg and there was nothing. There was not a scratch. And then I saw where he actually had had hold all of her fur right above where her tail is was all, all slobbery and tufts and tufts and tufts of fur were pulled out and were like coming out by the, by the handful. And I was, I just, I just like had expected it to be like mass damage that we immediately needed to run to the hospital. And there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. All he had done was had her fur. And I just could, I was, I was so shocked on so many levels. I was shocked that it had happened in the first place. And I was even more shocked that there was no physical damage and she was shaking. And then I was worried about her being traumatized and her like never being able to play with a dog again. And just, but, uh, she in 10 minutes she like she was just sort of like lying there like sitting there with her eyes wide and her little tail down and then within 10 minutes she was like back to normal and like wagging her tail and happy and needed to take a little nap but like totally fine and I couldn't stop talking about it because I didn't even remember half of the things that happened and my brother got home not long after that and my aunt texted me And she had said, I'm so, like, I, in one of the snapshots that I have, she was like, I'm so, so sorry. And I was like, no, honestly, I'm sorry because I'm the one who was like, it's going to be totally fine. And then my uncle came over and checked and, you know, asked if we were okay and asked if Molly was okay. And Molly was just lying there, like, looking up at him and, like, her little tail had just started to wag again. And basically, what to say? Molly seems fine and she might, maybe if she sees a dog who reminds her of Goose again, she will react or she will maybe remember it or have some sort of like recurring trauma that's specific to a dog like Goose or a situation like that again. But she seems fine and I just knew based on what I know about trauma and what happens when you're not able to like fully act out the fight or flight adrenaline response which is exactly what happened to me I just froze like I couldn't act I couldn't even I couldn't like let it I couldn't let the adrenaline and that like surge of energy to like help me to fight or flee I couldn't move and I all I was doing was like sort of half thinking of like what I could do or what I shouldn't do and screaming and and I literally dissociated like I wasn't even in my body I I was I don't even remember what happened so 
when that happens, what I've learned, and the book that I recommend, and I do talk about this in my book, but the book that I recommend for more context is the book called Waking the Tiger by Peter A. Levine, and I recommend his other work as well because he explains the difference between how most animals process trauma they don't really have the option or the luxury to pop up into the rational mind and sort of like um, halt the process of fight or flight. And when you halt the process of fight or flight and not don't let it actually complete itself and do what it's supposed to do, which is to help you fight or flee, you have essentially unprocessed trauma that can be re-triggered and re-triggered. And it's sort of like your body is in this high alert state because you never got out of the state. And experiences of completely freezing up or of um, or of like dissociating and not even really being in your body and not even really even knowing what's happening can be um, examples of, of of what happens and what can result in unprocessed trauma. So, you know, this is also what <laughs> we call PTSD. And there are lots of... You know, there are lots of varying degrees of it, and I believe that most humans on some smaller levels are a little bit traumatized and would benefit from a trauma specialist or a trauma therapist. Ironically, I have never actually seen a therapist who is... Actually, that's not true, but I have seen a therapist that did do some version of... um, of trauma therapy, but it was, it was not super focused on that. And it was not EMDR and it was like an intro to, and and I do think that there are lots of different ways to facilitate processing trauma. But anyway, this whole experience, like all I could think when I was stuck on it and my sister wasn't there, so she didn't see it happen though. She did care, but she wasn't able to really grasp how extreme it was because Molly was totally unscathed which was so odd, like it really, I'm so surprised that it wasn't worse than it was, that she wasn't actually injured. And if she hadn't, I mean, she has like three inches of like thick fluff, thick fluff. So he thought he was biting her skin and he was just getting fluff and just getting her fur. So anyway, my family who wasn't there, my brother totally understood how extreme it was. But my family was like, okay, Caroline, stop talking about it. You got to get over it. I just didn't get it. Because I really, I mean, I was stuck on it. Every like five minutes, I'd be like, I can't believe that happened. And I kept, when my mom's side of the family came over, I kept explaining what had happened over and over and over again. And my sister would walk in the room and she'd be like, oh, were you talking about it again? Like that whole night, I couldn't, and it, at that point, I was like, Margaret, it happened an hour and a half ago. Because as soon as we got back, it was like half an hour till they were arriving. And I had to go up and get changed. And I just, I just like, I was in such, I was in so much shock. But I, I like needed to process it. And I was still like, didn't even remember half of the things that had happened. So in my head, I was like, okay, I was worried that my dog was going to be traumatized. But I also, it was very clear that I was. And it also seems like she might have been, she might be totally fine. And I'm the one who's like stuck on this. But when I got home that night, so I drove back to my house and I got home around like maybe 945. 
And I laid my dog Molly went up and lay in my bed and she was exhausted and she was, you know, had had a hard day. Um, and she was just laying in my bed and she doesn't sleep in my bed, but before I go to sleep, I let her snuggle in my bed. And I was just lying there next to her, like thinking about it over and over and over again. And I knew enough that the only way to process trauma is by actually feeling what it feels like in your actual body. And so half of me was like, okay, if I can't do this on my own, I, this should be the the catalyst that gets me to start seeing a trauma therapist, a, 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 a therapist who specializes in trauma, um, a practitioner that specializes in trauma. So I can just be guided through this and why not? And I'm sure that there are other things from the past that though I've tried to address a lot through my own like, you know, mind-body stuff, I'm sure that there's other stuff that could be helped by seeing a uh, specialist in trauma trauma specialist um I lay there and I kept on trying to go over like I was trying to conjure it up by remembering and I was feeling sick to my stomach and the thing that bothered me the most was the image that I had of my brother pulling up on her collar in a way that was like clearly choking her and stressing her out so much so much so that she slipped her collar and I didn't even see that happening because I was trying to focus also on what the dog was doing and I was trying to figure out if there was any way for us to get out of the situation that was my my mind was like is there any way to get out of the situation could we run could I grab her and the answer that kept coming back was no 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 so I knew well enough that we couldn't just run because I knew that he would run after us anyway I was trying to like go back there and instead of like being dissociated like figure out what it felt like and what maybe a fight or flight response would have been and feeling what it felt like in my body. And at one point I started sobbing. I just knew like the whole, the whole day earlier day, I knew I am not processing any of this because all of a sudden my other aunt and uncle and cousins came over and I didn't have a moment to like, sit with what had just happened and so the only thing that I could do to try and start to process it was like explain it and I explained it over and over and over and over and over again until my family was like looking at me like what is wrong with you but I was like I I know that I have to process this and my mom doesn't under like nobody understands the specific view of trauma that's very specific to how animals process it differently than humans. And so I like half knew what was going on and I knew that it wasn't crazy that I was stuck on it. I knew that it meant that I was trying to process it and I didn't even have the opportunity to. Man, is this like just, is this the ultimate example of rambling? I mean, I really (laughs) just, trying to explain what happened and then explain the the trauma perspective. But the interesting thing is that I do feel that I processed some of it that night in my bed after after I got back home and with deliberate like, okay, it feels really, really uncomfortable in my body. I'm sick over it. I'm so angry with myself. I'm so, I was so angry with myself for 
being so stupid for not being more cautious for being so like oh it'll be fine and i was so angry with myself for not knowing how to take action for not, for standing there watching it happen three or four feet away and just screaming and not doing a thing because i didn't know what to do i was so angry with myself but i basically was just trying to like <sighs> relive it in a way where i could feel the the adrenaline in my body and instead of just thinking about it actually breathe through it um and so I did a little bit of that and I didn't know whether it was going to work or not I didn't know whether it was going to be effective or not and I really do think now that if it didn't process all of it I definitely did process some of it because I feel a lot calmer about it I can explain it in a way that doesn't make me feel sick to my stomach I don't feel as stuck on the story. Um, So I think that I did something. I think it's still going to inspire me to find a trauma therapist because I would like to make sure that I have sort of processed it. And I also, um, you know, it was the thing where I was like, well, this is probably good in a way. So it was like this weird thing where I was like, okay, I understand what's happening on a trauma level. I understand what's happening. I understand why I'm stuck on it. I understand that I dissociated. Oh my God, my my computer just went to sleep. Hold on. Hello. Okay, did that keep recording? Okay, I checked. It kept recording. Um, I understood what was happening. It was very clear to me that this was an acute case of trauma that I had been reading about, that I'd been writing about, that I'd been trying to apply to myself in basically to heal from smaller and less acute and less extreme experiences of it because I definitely can look back at my life and see that in many ways, and I believe this for many most people, that I was mildly traumatized in lots of ways that I didn't realize at the time, that um, that led to the disordered eating, that led to the eating disorder, that, that led to the dieting, and that it was that was also um, perpetuated by the dieting because dieting is traumatic in its own way. Um, but nothing this acute, honestly, that I can remember. Excuse me, my God. Um, nothing this acute that I can remember. So it was fascinating to kind of be aware of what was happening and also to realize that it was an acutely traumatic situation, but that how lucky I was that she didn't, get hurt the way she should have really like it felt a little bit miraculous um I I said to my cousin I was texting my cousin and I don't I really don't blame them because they were erring on the side of caution and I was not um and it was hard to tell it was hard to tell whether he was just a humongous puppy who wanted to play who had a deep deep bark or whether he was deeply traumatized himself and acting out that trauma um oh my god uh so I was aware that it was a very unique situation where I was able to kind of like see the effects of trauma and try to experiment with the advice that I give to breathe and feel um to see if I could process any of it on my own Though, please, my disclaimer is that I always, 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 I really do recommend professional help. I really, really, really do. I recommend it for myself. I'm, it is on my list. It actually was on my list before this. It's like, go to somebody who can do EMDR because I'm really 
uh, curious about it. It's one of the many evidence-based practices for processing trauma and healing trauma. Um, and I'm interested in it. I, I, I know that there are, there's more than one way to do it. I know that there's more than one method, but it is one of the mainstream ways. And I, I am interested in it and I want to see, I want to see what it's like essentially. Um, so I do think I am still going, I think this is going to be a catalyst for me to do that. Cause I think it's good to process trauma and to have someone, you know, to guide you through it. I also think it was a very unique situation where I was able to have awareness of what was happening to me firsthand, but still be stuck in it and still be stuck in the the shock of it and in the place like that, that place where I was all throughout Thanksgiving dinner, where I just kept talking about it over and over again. And I kept looking at my dog and saying, like, I cannot believe that, that just happened. And the only person who understood was my brother and my aunt and uncle and cousins also understood because they were there, but they weren't there at my dinner. They were at another dinner. So, and I was trying to be sensitive to them too, because I'm sure that they're very upset in their own way about what do we do about this? Is this something that's going to happen over and over again? Is this dog able to be rehabilitated? Is this like, is this a dangerous, like, I'm sure that there are lots of things that they're dealing with too. And so I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't really know how to handle it except to to take a little bit of ownership over the fact that I did push for them to meet and say hi to each other and clearly it did not work out and I have a lot of guilt around that. Um, but the fact that I was stuck on it and I'm clearly still stuck on it enough that I'm explaining this in sort of in a rambly way but I really do kind of want to explain the the trauma piece that I think is really 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 fascinating and um probably applies to a lot of people in some ways um again I really do recommend the book Waking the Tiger it was very very eye-opening to me about this entire sort of like concept of needing to be in the body to process trauma and to to complete in quotes, complete the fight or flight adrenaline cycle. Um, anyway, what my point is, let me just distill this. Molly, I'm pretty sure, is totally fine. I cannot believe that she did not have a scratch on her. She was shaking and trembling and very wide-eyed for about 10 minutes, and then she bounced right back. Um... She lost a lot of hair on her butt, but she's so fluffy that you cannot even tell. <laughs> you can't even tell. I was, and probably am still a little bit, traumatized. I literally dissociated and do not remember pieces of it, but I have tried to piece them back together by talking to my brother about it, and I tried to deliberately like go back there and remember what it was, knowing that if I could process a little bit of what I experienced on like a very um, like energetic level, like it's literally like like adrenaline that's like wasn't able to like complete it complete the process. Um, that I would be better off at least in the short term before I go see someone who maybe can 
help me either address whatever I wasn't able to address from that and other stuff from my past because I think it would be good and I think it would be helpful. And I will absolutely report back um, if and when I do, and I hope that I do soon. I have my own, uh, my therapist that I already have that I'm going to go to on Wednesday and I'm going to bring this up to her and I'm going to see, maybe she can refer me to someone that's specialist in trauma, or maybe she'll whip a whip something out of her back pocket and tell me that she specializes in trauma, which I don't know if she does, but hey, I'm going to see. Um, and then other than that, I want to say that um, somebody told me in the interim, and I'm not going to walk around in my life with vinegar spray, but um, she said that having a spray bottle of vinegar and spraying it at the face of a dog who's attacking. I think it's diluted vinegar, but vinegar nonetheless, or maybe just, I don't know, I'll look into it and report back, but that that is a really good way to break up a dog fight because it obviously doesn't injure them long-term at all, but it, it shocks them at, into backing away and loosening their grip and it gives you time to escape essentially. Um, of course, as all part of it, and I was going over it and going over it again, I was like, what could I have done differently? What could I have done differently in the moment? Like if it had already escalated, what could I have done differently? Um, obviously I would have, you know, not had them actually meet and not had him come out if I could really go back, but what would I have done differently if it was already happening and I was researching what to do and I was really, I even Googled like dog fluffy dog saved from dog attack by fluff like I was trying to find someone I was trying to find another example of someone who had a fluffy dog whose dog was attacked but the dog was okay because it was so fluffy um and I didn't get no nothing came up and I would love to hear from people but uh nothing came up on google and maybe I just didn't explain it well into google but um all right, that was a really long story, and I'm sure I rambled and went over things over and over and over and over again. Um, but it was really horrible. It was really, really, really a really horrible situation, and it felt like a horror movie. But at the same time, she was totally uninjured in a way that felt miraculous. And I started to say this earlier, but I do feel like Carson's little doggy, doggy spirit was maybe there, like, helping <laughs> Carson was such a sweet dog. He was their big Bernese Mountain Dog, and I just miss him. And he was just like the loveliest, loveliest, big, big goofball who cried whenever he was playing with dogs and was scared of everything, but very sweet. Obviously, I feel bad for Goose and whatever he was. My, my animos, I, my, I have like no animosity towards the dog. I more was just mad at myself for like being so... Um, optimistic and like foolishly optimistic and not being cautious enough so now I'm going to be overly cautious but hopefully dealing with the trauma and actually having a therapist will help me just not be stuck in it because that's what trauma does it makes you stuck in it and if you don't process it you keep sort of like re-triggering it and reliving it over and over and over again um and there's a very strange part of it too where you almost like attract situations that help you to try and process it but but if you don't 
know what to do or don't know how to process it, you're just going to sort of like re-traumatize yourself over and over and over again. So that's why it's good to have help. That's why it's good to have help. I think I thought that I was going to say lots of other things, but I, I feel that that's enough for today. And I will be back with more. <laughs> I'll be back with some conversations with some great people um, who hopefully can broaden our horizons and give us more perspectives on health at every size and anti-diet and maybe even trauma. I mean, I'm really fascinated by it. And I think there's this whole, the whole, the whole uh, nervous system split into the sympathetic and the parasympathetic and that we so often get stuck in the fight or flight state because of unprocessed trauma because of chronic stress mostly from unprocessed trauma and that the healing state is the parasympathetic and the rest and digest and the feed and breed and that breathing can literally put up like bring us into the parasympathetic rest digest state and then what that has to do with trauma I think all of this is so fascinating it's the reason that I wrote about this in the book it's the reason that I think rest is so important it's the reason that the breathe and feel tool is in the book it's the reason why I talk about the emotional part it is the reason why I did yoga teacher training and was fascinated by yoga nidra and I'm fascinated by what trauma does to us And I'm fascinated by um, simple ways to help reintegrate. And I'm also clearly fascinated, but haven't taken action on it yet, by um, what other options there might be, like EMDR and other things. Um, EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, which is tapping on certain points. You can look it up. I used to recommend people do that, but then I kind of felt like I it was such a specific thing and it's such an odd like series of of um it's a very odd looking thing to do and people feel really foolish doing it but it's also evidence-based for trauma so if you are curious about that look up EFT or emotional freedom technique because I actually did that I actually did it in my bed before I fell asleep on Thursday night I totally forgot and it helps to kind of like access the energy that needs to be felt and processed oh my gosh okay um, fascinated by all of it. So I feel like, especially with, as I've been talking about the zoom out that I've been wanting to do and a slight pivot and then <clears throat> the new book that I'm writing that's specific to rest and specifically framed by my two years of rest in order to try and expl- in the book that I'm currently writing that you probably won't be able to have in your hands for, well, I don't know, two years. I wish it could be faster than that, but it's a very long process to sell a book and then finish the book and then have it come out. But I am writing it and it is what I'm trying to do and I'm really excited about it. I want to try and explain, I want it to be funny. I want it to explain my experience with essentially trauma and being traumatized by performing and dieting and all of the things I did to myself to take us through the dieting and then through the fuck a diet and then all the way up to the two years of rest so it's framed by the two years of rest but then the book is is about like all the bad advice that I took and all of the things that made me really tired and hopefully it'll be funny but um, I'm only like you know I'm just 
trying to shape it and write it right now. But basically, I'm fascinated by trauma and I'm fascinated by stress and anxiety and I'm fascinated by rest as well. And I'm also fascinated by my dog who I love so much and who is never allowed to be hurt um, or die, really. So, all right. Was that enough rambling? Did I live up to my promise that this was going to include like rambling okay I will be back and you might regret it bye you're listening to the song extremely sneaky cat I don't know who wrote it but I did just buy it from the website melody loops